Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. This is Danielle Town. And we're here for the Invested Podcast where we are teaching fantastic stuff about investing. We're teaching fantastic stuff. Yeah, it is. You're teaching fantastic stuff. You're starting to teach fantastic stuff, I think, a little bit. I have like three original ideas, I think. It's pretty cool, and I am excited that... You are coming along as a as a neophyte investor, as a novice. You're getting into it. I'm totally getting into it, actually, which is not something I ever thought I would say. But I am totally getting into it. Like I feel like this is actually adding to my life. And you've you've made some investments now and have dealt with the nervousness of just actually doing it with real money. It's yes, pretty exciting. Well, I haven't mentioned that on here yet, but we need to do actually like a, probably a whole episode on uh, the experience of buying a, a, a company. We will. And I will say that these were... It was a bit of a nightmare, guys. These were just wading into the emotion of it. That's right. <clears throat> so That's we'll get right. we'll get to that. That's fun. But we're not going to get to that today. We're talking about because we're back to basics, Dad. Really back to basics with Charlie Munger. Yes. And so so we um, are on part three of an unknown part series. Yeah. But this is part three. We're moving along. Yeah. We've done two on um, on finding companies where we kind of talked about the three circles as a way to get into the ballpark of something that's easier for you to understand. Like you might understand the house next door that you could rent out if you bought it as an investment. And we talked about other kind of cool places you can go, like Guru uh, websites, like our site and Dataroma and Guru Focus. Seeking Alpha. Yep. Seeking Alpha has got analysts that are writing about companies. I mean, honestly, (laughs) after, after we talked about that, I just was like, I bet I could just Google some stuff. And I just Googled some stuff. And some companies came up. Yep. Like, it's so easy, actually, to find names of companies when you just try a little bit. Yeah. The internet has made it so much easier, you guys. The old days were, you know, down at the library to to look at the quarterly value line books that have pages like an airline manual that you pull <laughs> in and out. And the and, and because it costs $50,000 a year to get that data, $50,000 a year. Wait, to what? have any shot at being any kind of a knowledgeable investor. But I mean, it was free at the library, right? Yeah, free at the library. It so was to all get it, old. Oh, and you had to go to the library. <laughs> yeah, which was not so bad in my case because, you know, I was looking for stuff that had consistency and predictability over a long period of time. So old wasn't horrible. And then you hmm. order the annual report to get up to the date stuff, and you'd have to order in. That's free, right? That's free. It yeah. just takes two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> you can see that, that the discipline to be an investor back when I started was really enormous, you know, because nothing was accessible quickly. Yeah. So you had to be able to sustain long, long periods of, of, uh, of, of investigation in order to arrive at some idea that you might really like to invest in. It's really amazing when, when you think about, I mean, you, what, you've been doing this like, what, like 30 years or mm-hmm. 35 years or something? Mm-hmm. And in that short amount of time, how much information has changed and how much the expense of information has changed? Most we were just looking at just finding a company Honestly, you know, Peter Lynch wrote a book about it just pre-internet, um, and like I, I can't remember the name of it exactly, but Peter, forgive me. It's a good book, but the essence of it is that you need to look at things that you're already buying. That was the essence of his advice. Well, which which you which know we you say replicated. too, yeah. <clears throat> but then turning that into a company is difficult. I I remember I read his book back then, 
And you go buy, you know, Wrigley's chewing gum, and then you start to figure out who owns it. That one's pretty easy because Wrigley's is. Available. I was gonna say that's really hard without but, the internet. But, I actually don't know how. I guess I would call Wrigley's. Yeah, you'd have to go call Wrigley's. Yeah. Because you got to find surely like some big company owns Wrigley's. It's not Wrigley's. It's Wrigley's. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> well, it wasn't. And, or you go to buy toothpaste, so you go to Crest. Okay, well, who owns Crest? There's nothing on the box that says who owns Crest. Yeah. <clears throat> you just have to dig it out, you yeah. know? Yeah. So it's really interesting um, how much the Internet has changed it and made it, democracy, it made it more democratic, more accessible for more people. And, I, I mean, it's still not. I was thinking when you said... Um, that you paid fifty grand for these. I didn't reports. pay. It. I didn't pay it. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no other way. people. Yeah. Other people paid fifty grand. Yeah, for these that's reports. what the professionals would pay. Well, now you get a Bloomberg terminal, and Bloomberg terminals are twenty twenty thousand dollars a year. Yeah, and and guaranteed to make you absolutely nuts. No, but you're not. You're like not serious. You know, in the industry, you're not serious unless you have a Bloomberg terminal because it provides you the most up-to-date information and the most detailed information that's out there. And that's why they get $20,000 a year for it. It's a very good source of information. And it's like you've like we the industry has gone from $50,000 for slow information quarterly information to $20,000 <laughs> for Instant. up to the second information. Right. And the amazing thing is that in that change Somebody like you and me, who is not in the industry and frankly doesn't really want to be, goes from going to the library as the workaround, which is super slow and years behind and, you know, a big pain and whatever, but free, to Googling some stuff at 11 o'clock last night. Again, pretty much for free. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's amazing. In it 35, is. like, let's like take a moment about how amazing that is. It is. And this evolution of, of information flow and the speed at which it's flowing has really screwed up Wall Street's head in a kind of an interesting way. Um, well, our, yeah, our I mean, friend, everything's changed so I mean, Remember quickly. what Guy Spear said in his book? He said, he said lots of things. Education of a Value Investor. Great book, by the way. Um, didn't Guy talk about the Bloomberg terminals or was that just in a conversation I had with him? No, no, he did. He writes about it a lot, which I thought was fascinating. I had never... I mean, I had seen them, but I had never thought about Bloomberg terminals in any extensive way until that book. And he, because he like actually worked on Wall Street, and so he's very used to having a Bloomberg terminal. And so when he went on his own, he wanted a Bloomberg terminal. So he got one because serious investors have Bloomberg terminals. And he would use it and he would like follow the stuff coming to follow the information coming in. And he found that actually, because he's a long-term investor now, he sort of transitioned from being like a shorter-term yeah. kind of trader to being a long-term Warren Buffett-style investor. And he found that his terminal actually was being counterproductive because it was providing him with so much information that he didn't need, but he felt like he had to pay attention to because it was coming in. It was just showing up. It was coming in. So he had to read it. He had to know what was going on. He had to know what the stock price was. And it, it actually it made him realize that it was counterproductive. And so in the book, he said that um, he still has not weaned himself from his Bloomberg terminal. He still has one in his office. 
but his office has a couple different rooms, and so he put it like in a side room <laughs> exactly. where he doesn't have to exactly. look at it. But he he had so he knows he has access. Should he desire it, he can go to it. He still has it, but he doesn't have to look at it, which I just thought was like such a classic. I mean, we've all been there with various things, right? Like like our phones. Like you want to know that you have access to like. I don't know. For me, it's like the celebrity gossip websites. But I try to keep myself from them. <laughs> <laughs> or like, you want to know that you have access to that emergency stash of dark chocolate in your cupboard for those, you know, emergency <laughs> evenings. But you don't want to have it be too close because then you'll use it all the time. I mean, probably the thing I'm like that with most is that I've got a TV in my office where I could flip on... Um, Speaking of Bloomberg, I can flip on Bloomberg. <laughs> so there you go. Which is just scrolling the information through the TV as it comes along on you know smaller number of stocks, but also going over to CNBC or going over to Fox uh, Business. Just if something's cracking, if I see something on the internet and I want to take a bigger you know look at what's more up to speed. But, but is I that can't just think sort of any for time your own it's ever, personal yeah, like hasn't done satisfaction? Because why would that affect? I mean, okay. It doesn't do me should, any good. I mean, sometimes it would. Like, like a big market crash is going to affect what you do. But, but not most instantly. Short, yeah, not instantly. You're right. Not in the next 20 minutes. No. <laughs> I'm not playing like that. Yeah. And I don't have a good enough crystal ball to know anyway which way it's all going to go. And I don't think anybody really does. But um, let's, you know what? I mean, I really want to move on to the next area that we're talking about here. So anyway, finding companies is uh, an interesting area. It is. It's really interesting. It's gotten really to summarize modern. summarize with a nice little bow. Which means you can do this. You can find companies. Yeah. yeah. You can find companies. Yeah. Finding and companies it, is not easier, a problem. It's easier than I thought. It's actually easier than I thought. Finding potential candidates. Not a problem. Yes. All right. So the next thing we want to talk about is Charlie's next statement. Do you want to so play now, it? Now we actually are moving on to what Charlie actually said, Yeah. which is the four principles of understanding the business. And we're going back to basics because we originally talked about this in our first few episodes of this podcast. Yep. We- and it's so useful, honestly, to get real basic here. So you want to run that? Okay. So I'm going to play Charlie Munger. This is an interview he did with the BBC, and um, it's on YouTube. You can Google it. It starts at minute six. And by the and way, he- we're, we're doing this... Actually, you're going to end up memorizing these four things the same way we have by listening to this thing so often in our podcast. I'm going to memorize it in the same way who has. These guys who are listening are going to end up memorizing Charlie's four things, which is really our sneaky idea. (laughs) Well, (laughs) you're just going to end up memorize or don't memorize. I could care less. (laughs) (laughs) But you'll absorb it. Yeah, you'll probably absorb it. I'm sorry, everybody. Okay, so here we go. You're not. I'm glad. Charlie Munger, here we go. We have to deal in things that we're capable of understanding. And then once we're over that filter, we have to have a business with some intrinsic characteristics that give it a durable competitive advantage. And then, of course, we would vastly prefer a management in place with a lot of integrity and talent. And finally, no matter how wonderful it is, it's not worth an infinite price. So we have to have a price that makes sense. And 
gives a margin of safety considering the natural vicissitudes of life. That's a very simple set of ideas. And the reason that our ideas have not spread faster is they're too simple. The professional classes can't justify their existence if that's all they have to say. I mean, it's all so obvious and so simple. What would they have to do with the rest of the semester? Yeah. Okay. All right, I keep Dad, signaling to Danielle to cut, cut. we got to listen to the whole thing every Charlie's time. making a joke at the last of it. Well, it's a funny joke. It is pretty funny. <laughs> After you, the first time you hear it. so You just said that you wanted it to seep into everyone's true, unconsciousness. True. The, the only way you're going to get that is to listen to it every single time. Next time I'm not going to make you guys listen. Danielle might make you listen to Charlie's joke about how the only reason that they don't teach this is because what okay, would they have fine. to do the rest of the fine, semester? Fine, Com- While we unfold compromise, this for years. Compromise. We will <clears throat> okay. cut it off before the joke next time. All right, good. Okay. Deal. But we still have to listen to the four Deal. principles. So the four principles are? Being capable of mm-hmm. understanding. And? And? And then what? Oh, number two. <laughs> Having a business that has a durable competitive advantage. Yes. Number three, having management with integrity. And wait, there's something else. And, and you talent. Always, and talent. Mm-hmm. I always forget that part. Um, and, and then you can't pay an infinite price. Margin of safety. That's your. To take care of the vicissitudes of life. That's what Charlie said. Margin of oh, safety. Oh, he did? Oh. Yeah. Clearly, I haven't times listened to it enough, okay. so don't tell me to cut it off. Let's drop Let's drop over to the first one, capable of understanding. He just pops that, like, capable of understanding. Yeah, he barely even, like, nope. notices capable that Capable of understanding. One, because I think he's so capable of understanding, like, everything. Amazingly, no. This is the stunning thing about Charlie and Warren, is how rigorously they treat capable of understanding in their own investing and stick with the spots that they really feel comfortable, very rigorously. Like Charlie speaks about everything under the sun, mm-hmm. just away from investing. But in terms of doing his own investing, he's incredibly focused on just those things he understands. And so is Warren Buffett. And Charlie said over and over and over again, the key is to know what you're capable of understanding and when you're not capable or when you're actually not understanding. It's the knowing that you don't know part of it that becomes really important. So these guys describe it as kind of like a circle of competence, if you will. Hmm. That's sort of one way to think about it. And I would say, if I'm trying to unpack capable of understanding in a way that I have never seen anybody do it. Okay. Because they always just talk about, well, are you capable of understanding? Like, are you capable of snowboarding and jumping off tall cliffs? I mean, how do you know? It's like, well, I guess. I mean... How do you know? I don't, I don't really know what to tell you. I know. Maybe? I, I've, I've <laughs> talked about this myself in many, many classes that I've taught. And I've shot right over the top of it just with this assumption that you'll just know when you're capable of understanding. And so if, if we think about knowing when you're capable of doing other things. Yeah. Right? Sort of. Well, the, it's through some amount of experience, yeah. I would say, that informs the new activity and there's some uh, tipping point at which you've had enough experience to say for for certain that you could do the new activity or you couldn't. And then there's some area, some gray area in the middle where you're maybe. Yeah. 
So you got it. How's so if that we just for parsing it way parse too much? it way out, and now all of a sudden it's a twenty-year project. So <laughs> we don't want that either, because we know that really good investors have picked up on this style of investing, this strategy of investing, where you focus on stuff you are capable of understanding. You get a moat, you get good management, and you get a margin of safety. We know they've done that, and we know they've done that early on, and we know they made millions of dollars. All right? All right. And I'm one of them. So I know that you don't have to be sitting there for 20 years to get to this place where now I know I'm capable of understanding. It's much more like snowboarding or something, you know? It's like a week you, you start to get the idea of being capable of doing this thing. You know? Uh, you're looking okay. at me like, Whoa. So I think what you're saying is... It's hard to know if you're capable of something. And now you just said it takes a week to know. Well, think about snowboarding for a second. Yeah. Just as I'm, I'm randomly are you saying, grabbing something. Are you saying here. you should try something out in order to find out that you're capable? Well, I think, yeah, you dig into it, right? Okay. So when you're snowboarding, you, you go and, and you try it out. So it was the first thing we did when we went to, le- to learn snowboarding was... We got an instructor. No, we went up on Snow King without an instructor... Thinking well, that was this is going to be easy. <laughs> it was horrible. <laughs> I'd skied all my life. But I can do this. <laughs> Wrong. Big time. Okay. Then we got an instructor. <laughs> There's probably a lesson there about all of this stuff we're teaching you guys. So we got an instructor, and then within a matter of really one or two lessons. I became pretty clear that I liked it. Yeah. And I could do it. Yeah. I was seeing progress. So you tried it out mm-hmm. and you weren't actually like able to do it yet, but you could see that you could. Right. That's what you're saying. So I'm thinking now, let's let's wind that back one more step and say, well, what in the world made me even think I could try it out? I mean, why would I try it out? Lots of people wouldn't try it out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And um and snowboarding's Famous for having pretty rough first three days, yes. right? So a lot of people won't try it. They're afraid they're going to break their wrist. They're afraid they're going to break their butt bone, you know, whatever. And so people don't even want to try it, some people. Mm-hmm. All right. But we did. We wanted to try it, mostly because my two daughters, you and Elena, were like, I don't want to ski. I want to snowboard. So yeah. uh, we went to snowboard. So that was the first thing that was pulling me in was just family. I mean, you wanted to do it. So I was sort of drug into it. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, oh, I'm just going to stick my toe in the water here because if there's a big snow day... You're going to put your skis back on. Skis are going back on. Yeah, you even said that to us. I did. You were like, I'm sorry, girls. I just want you to know <laughs> <laughs> if it snows. <laughs> and did I ever put my I'm, skis? I'm going to go take advantage of it, and you girls will have fun on your snowboard on the bunny slope. And we were like, what? Sure, fine, whatever. Yeah. And, <laughs> and what actually happened? Uh, you have never touched your skis since then. I have never touched my skis since then, mm-hmm. which is amazing. So I went into this with, with sort of the idea that I was sticking my toe in the water to be with my kids and no real super desire to do it. Just, you know, I knew I was going to go ski and I got caught in it, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So stepping back to what, what made me feel like I could do that is I, I already had done some skiing. Yeah, you had some experience in a snow sport that informed you that possibly a different snow sport would be accessible to you. Yeah, so I had some 
level of experience. So if we were to make a, is it an analogy or metaphor between this and like buying real estate, say? Um, I'm going to say it's it both. Okay. Is it, <laughs> is it, isn't the Wellesley, Oxford, NYU. Dad, stop it. Let me tell you about my very intelligent thought process. Mm-hmm. Isn't the distinction between a metaphor and a simile? And one of them is like something else, and the other one is something else. Yeah, I'm going to agree with whatever you tell me here. And I always forget which is which, but I think a metaphor is the one where you say it's like something else. And an analogy is in a totally different category unto itself. So you were comparing apples with oranges, and it made my brain confused. I'm still there, so... As everyone else who's listening to us, so let's move on. Everybody else totally gets what I'm saying <laughs> and is like, yeah, English distinctions. Ah, horrible. So you got a house next door. Here's the thing. Everybody listening to this who's an adult has at least rented a place. Has at least rented, rented a home mean? or an oh. apartment or something, right? So you're in real estate. You're a real estate user. All of us. We are all... I hope real estate users. Right. And as a result, that's a little bit like, okay, I've been in the sports world a tad. So I'm a real estate user. And many people have either looked to buy or have bought a house True. or a condo. True. And, um, and so not only are I a real estate user, but as I actually bought it as an investor. True. To a certain degree. True. So what I'm saying is that probably everybody listening to this podcast is a little bit like me. Having done a little skiing, and like you and Elena, having done a little skiing, you know, I'd done a lot. You guys had done a little. So we're already in the ballpark of snowboarding. All right. Let me just try to... I think I do. Let me provide sort of an umbrella of understanding. We went from how do you know if you're capable of understanding something, and we decided that if you have a small amount of experience in something related to that thing it would provide you with enough information to make a decision about whether or not you're capable. Yeah. Then you took analogy number one. I decided it's an analogy, not a, me- I see not you a did. metaphor. Yes. Analogy number one is take snowboarding. You had skied before. It was a snow sport that gave you enough experience to decide, okay, I maybe probably can learn a different snow sport. Right. Analogy number two. This is where we transitioned to analogy number two. (laughs) You have lived in a house. You have rented a house or an apartment or some sort of dwelling. You have purchased a house or an apartment or some sort of dwelling. Therefore, you are capable, we might think, of understanding real estate investments. There we go. Have I got this right? Yes. Okay. Yes. So far, so good. Um, I don't know where I'm going with that exactly. I don't know where you're going but, either. Um, we're, we're snugging ourselves into the idea that we're capable of, of understanding the ideas about this, about investing. And then now we got to talk a little bit about capable of understanding that company. How would, how would you know you could understand that? And I have this thought. One of the most critical things about being an investor is that you have to be able to think on your own. If mm-hmm. you're caught up in sort of mob thinking, group think, um, going where the where the group goes, this is not going to be for you. You can enjoy our podcast as entertainment, 
and perhaps some kind of education, but if you don't think you can think on your own and make up your own mind about things, you should never consider being an investor. All right? So you should continue to just, you know, go to robo-advisors and have them just put your money here and there. Um, I mean, that's kind of... So I'm, going, I'm working I, on I, capable of understanding. Capable. Are you capable of understanding? That's kind of an obnoxious thing to say, though. I thought it was I was trying to come up with another word, but it was pretty obnoxious. And let me tell you why. Because pretty we're condescending, talking, huh? Yeah, it was yeah. actually really condescending. Yeah, I didn't, didn't really mean to go there. But here's... And, and the thing is, like, it's the exact antithesis of everything you just said, which is we're trying to figure out if we're capable of understanding something. How do we figure it out? And then you just announced... If you're not capable of it, then get out. <laughs> well, <If> you're not, <laughs> the whole point here is we're trying to figure out if we are. And so. I just realized that being able to think on your own probably doesn't have anything to do with whether you're capable of understanding or well, not. Well, and the thing is, obviously, we it's all think useless. of our we all think on our own. I mean, come on, we all we all decide when to cross the street. You know, like we all think on our own. The problem here is not can you think on your own. The problem is. Do you have enough information to make an educated decision that you can stand behind and put your family's money behind? That's a lot bigger than, can you think on your own? <laughs> true. I mean... True. And what the can you think on your own thing really means is, are you able to just sit in cash when everybody's making money, buying that house and flipping it? Can yeah, you just and the answer stay is, in cash? The answer is, I don't... Effin' no! So leave me alone! <laughs> I guess you really don't know until you get there, huh? Well, and, like, I might not be able to do it the first time. I might not be able to do it the second time. Maybe I can do it the third time. Like, give me a break, man! So, so we, well, okay, fair enough. So, and it's actually got You're nothing to do You're being very black and white about this today. Know, that's true. Very black and white, and this is not black and white. I feel terrible that I introduced the concept of thinking on your own in this Subject of capable of understanding. No, it's okay, but it's because your mind, like you are, you have a black and white kind of mind. Like you, to you, you are either capable of something or you're not. Yeah, I kind of am like. And that. that's just not true for. Which astrological else. sign would? That and that's be not even true for you. You just think about it like that. And what what gym should I wear to offset those horrible tendencies? <laughs> Probably a really expensive one. <laughs> Oh, my God. A long time ago, I took a class on astrological gemstones. Don't ask me why. I just did. It's pretty cool. <laughs> How many do you wear? I wear none. <laughs> there you go. None. Um, but I think, I mean, I, I'm actually glad that you made the obnoxious point because I think a lot of people think like that. Like, I think a lot of us start something and then stop because we think, oh, I just, this is too hard. I can't do it. I can't think on my own well enough or some jerk out there is going to tell me I can't think on my own well enough. And it's just not true. Like the point here is learning. And the question is, how do we learn enough to get to the point where we can make an informed judgment for ourselves of if we're capable of understanding? That's something? the hardest thing to get at. Honestly, this is really like chipping away at a chunk of steel or granite well, or something. And, the, and like, good lord, we're not psychologists. Let's just, we're not going to be able to, like, define the moment that you know for well, look, certain. Here are some of the things I know. When you are capable of understanding, 
I know you end up with. Okay, so maybe this is... Well, that's like, what I was about to say before you went off. Oh. Let me provide my own piece of original thought. Okay. Good. <laughs> it's, really, it's really genius. Are you good. ready? Good, yeah. <laughs> Let's assume we can't understand any of it. Let's start from We're that. We're not capable of understanding. We are not capable of understanding. Okay, start anything. there. Like, start from a place of total... Great darkness. What? Great darkness. Great darkness? Yes. There's no light. I don't see any darkness in this. Oh. Start from a place of humility. Okay. Of... Okay, so... Abject humility. Good. Again, like, you're putting these negative words into well, you're it. you're not and capable I, of understanding. Go ahead. Go ahead. I just, don't, I just really here. don't see it as being negative. I think mm-hmm. that there's a real beautiful virtue to starting out going... Like, rather than trying to pull yourself into a place, go... It's cool. I'm a total beginner at this. I'm a total idiot. What? No. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Go ahead. I was trying to get into that space. All right. But you're coming at it from such a negative way that you're not going to get into the space. Right, okay. Dial your negativity down. Okay, so it's not idiotic to not do this. It's, or not know how. Why? It's just beginner. Explain this to me. Hmm. When you did not know how to snowboard, were you an idiot? Were you an abject, stupid person who was useless in the world and couldn't do anything <laughs> because you didn't know how to put on one stick no. instead of two? No, 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 I wasn't. No, you, you just hadn't tried point. it, right? I hadn't tried it. You right. hadn't learned it. I hadn't learned it. There's nothing to be said about your own like value in the world That's regarding true. that. That is very true. It was just a thing that you learned. I take it back. Do you agree that it's just a thing it's just that you learned? It's a thing that I learned, and it has no implications for my level of intelligence. So, that's humility. Got it. You can just be there, and we can all be in that space of, I don't know how to do this, and that's okay. Why would I know how to do this? Give yourself a break, you know? So, if we start from that... You can start from whatever level you want to start from. I don't care. If I start from that, from a feeling of, I'm probably not capable of understanding a single public company out there. And then I do my finding thing, which I did last night and have done before, obviously. But I, I Googled, like, cool companies. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, what will happen if I just Google? A year cool, and a half of teaching right down there. Cool Warren Buffett companies. Because that is one of our four criteria that Charlie mentioned. It doesn't matter how you get there. You just get there. Because Charlie was like, be sure you're capable of understanding as a moat and it's a cool cool. company. Yeah, make sure it's cool. You guys missed that part. Yeah. We should play it again. (laughs) (laughs) But if you start from a place of humility, I think it allows for more openness in, in that sort of sussing out of... I just are you realized, capable? Look at, I just realized why I'm coming from this sort of harsh place. It's why like, are you coming from this well, harsh place? Well, because my training programs that I've been in in my life to learn stuff have all come from that sort of harsh place. Like, you know, being in the army, it was just back in the old army. Yeah. Uh-huh. The, the old army. I okay. think the new army doesn't do this. Okay. But the old army, the word idiot came up a lot in my case. From my drill sergeant, from other, you know, people who are above me in rank. 
Idiot was a common phrase at best for like not knowing how to put together a gun and not that knowing I've never how seen to before. like run in combat boots and, and I've never done before. Yeah, and not knowing how to low crawl under wire while yeah. being shot at that I've never done before. Well, obviously there's a reason for doing along that with in words the like army, maggot, which is to make sure that you submit to the <laughs> chain of command, come of the earth, and you right. know, yeah. So it's it sort of I sort of default to. This, you know, that that terminology, but I don't mean it, and those guys didn't mean it either. Literally, they just were pounding you to put stress on, to get you moving, to get it done quickly. And when I went into this apprenticeship, where I started learning for a year on how to invest like this, that came up a lot. Also, it was like, don't be stupid, you know. Of course, it's not that way. It's this way, you know. And all of that is because everything was happening on hypertime. Like, get it done mm-hmm. or get out of my way. Mm-hmm. I have a suspicion that this is more or less the, uh, you know, the the kind of ethic that's going on, that goes on in Wall Street all the time. It's very macho, very con- very condescending, very, very hierarchical, yes. extremely intense. Yeah. And I, I'm afraid I've inherited a little bit of that. So I'm really I'm kind of glad you're bringing this up. Well, yeah, yeah I mean... I- I think that's actually a really good point. In those contexts, it was your job. And in this context, we're all doing it on our own time. Yeah, good point. And we don't have to do this. Yeah. I mean, we kind of do, because what else are we going to do with our our financial planning? But, um, But we don't technically have to do it. Yeah. So, all right, no gun at the head. So, no gun at the head terminology, sort of. No, I don't feel a gun at my head. Right, Thank that's goodness. what I'm saying. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, so some of the things that I'm thinking about in terms of capable of understanding are sort of the res- sort of what happened when you are. You end up with what Buffett calls a fat pitch. Okay. When you're capable of understanding, that means since we're on sport metaphors, okay. that means that the ball is coming in in a place you know you can hit it. You know. You know. Yeah. You have a high degree of confidence that if the ball were just to go there at just that speed, you would clobber it almost every time. Okay, so we have That's a, called a fat pitch. we have a spectrum. We have a spectrum of no way do I even know like remotely what that company does. And a spec and then the other side is I get everything about it. It's obvious. It's a fat pitch. It's a fat pitch. Fat pitch. And one and of the reasons I like this whole world in the <laughs> whole middle. world in the middle that you don't want to go there. So, in fact, Buffett talks about this uh, fat pitch n- notion coming from Ted Williams, who is one of the greatest hitters of all time. I mean, you know, like hitting three hundred is amazing in baseball. Okay. And Williams hit four hundred a couple of years in a row. So he was like pretty good. Like stunning. <laughs> and one of the things he said later that he figured out. To, to get to that level of enormous, which means he's hitting the ball safely almost one time for every two times he goes to the plate. Okay. And since there are going to be errors committed and he's going to be walked, that means he's on base probably 67% of the time. Two-thirds of the time, Ted Williams was on base every time he'd go to the plate, which is crazy in the major leagues. Who does that? So what he figured out was that he'd, he would watch film of him swinging at pitches, and he would remember what the pitch was that came in, and he has incredible eyesight, so he would see right what the ball was doing. And he created a box with baseball-sized holes in it, boxes, mm-hmm. inside of a rectangle, which would represent the strike zone over the plate. 
and he put as many baseballs in there as that would fit into that strike zone, which is defined as from your chest to your knees. Okay. Okay? And he figured out, looking at game films, where the ball would go when he wouldn't hit it. And then what he did is refrain from swinging when the ball went there. And his batting average went through the roof. So what Buffett's talking about is a kind of game of investing where you, you may not have as many places that you could actually hit the ball as Williams did. Um, you might have almost all places where you shouldn't swing, but there's no strikeout. You don't have to swing in this game. You can sit and watch one pitch after another come through the plate, which is the finding that we're doing, right? Each one of those is a pitch. Here, buy me, buy me, buy me. Mr. Market is saying, oh, here, you know, Whole Foods, $28. All right. You know, here's PSX, $75. You are talking about what I was talking about, which is the humility of starting out assuming that you don't understand. Yes. And the part that I didn't get to is that there's confidence that comes from that. Oh, cool. That's a decision. That's a decision that you just made. So guess what? Yes, we are all capable of thinking on our own. Thank you very much. <laughs> and that decision, Very well said. I take it all back. And that decision and, and lets you my- say, okay, I am what you just said, to use your baseball analogy, I'm not going to swing at anything right now. I'm just going to see what's coming over the plate. Right. My strike zone has no place on it where I can hit the ball. Yeah. For sure. And then maybe something comes by where you go, oh, gosh, that actually looked like pretty decent. I could have hit that. Yeah. And then maybe you come back to it a little bit and you, like, check it out and then maybe you try to hit it. You know what? And by coming at it from that, like... Again, humility, but not in a negative way. It's There's nothing negative about being humble. It's beautiful, and it's quiet, and it's supporting yourself in a really um, natural way. And then taking the confidence from that that you're not pushed. Nobody's pushing. Nobody's yelling at you. I mean, unless it helps you. Like, if you want to imagine people yelling at you, <laughs> I don't care. Go for it. It doesn't help me. Then... Um, And then maybe you find something. So, like, for me, this was, like, I know nothing. I just have to be okay with that because there's no other option. Yeah. And then I found, I mean, you know, we talked about and I found Whole Foods. And I was, like, I can kind of get that, actually. I really, really, really like them. I spend a lot of money there. And, like, it's a grocery store. I'm pretty sure I can figure this out. That's where that's where you end up going. And I bet you, and that's a really easy one because it's we all go to grocery stores. That's a really easy one. I bet you there are lots of other companies that are consumer-facing that would speak to each one of us in some way that, that gives us a little bit of joy when we think about it. This is very good. Now, a lot of people don't care about organic food the way I do because their stomachs work perfectly and they've never had to think about it. <laughs> but I have to buy all sorts of very special food. and um, But I don't know, for somebody else, it's like bike gear or snowboard gear or baseball gear or I don't know, what do people buy? Like chainsaws or uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, and some public company makes all of that stuff. So we come yeah. back to this thing that of finding the company which there are lots of ways to find names, and, and eventually there will be one. But I think if you come up, 
I think for me, starting from a place of real quietness and humility, it takes the pressure off. Wow, I've never thought about teaching it that way. And now I'm thinking that I had this idea that I'm going to implement at the next um, Transformational Investing Workshop. What's the transfer? Let's quick right, 30 seconds. plug. 30 seconds. All right. So once a month, I, I try to do a workshop for three days and teach you guys as much as I can in three days about the style of investing. When I do it live, I teach almost the whole class myself, and my brother teaches a chunk of it. Um, and Where can we, they go to find out about it? You can go to ruleoneinvesting.com, and it's on that website someplace. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. We are such a commercial enterprise. <laughs> so so we'd love to have you come out to Atlanta. And what I'm thinking about doing in the next one, I'm going to try to get it together between now and then, um, in October, I think it's the third week of October, is to have case studies created that I can present to you so that you can, on, really, on, on companies that are pretty simple to understand, you know, like they make cooking utensils and they make burritos and they make you know different stuff like that you don't mean chipotle do you that one i'm gonna put in there if i can <laughs> and and the idea is that somebody you might... asked me once why we were so obsessed with chipotle <laughs> and i was like oh i didn't even realize we were obsessed with chipotle but now, gonna, now every time we talk about it, i'm like god we're so obsessed with chipotle. it's my version of the lemonade stand <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh we could talk about the lemonade stand but i'd rather talk about something real so the, the idea is you'd have this case study for companies in 2009, 2008, 2009. You'd see the back, all the numbers. You'd be able to look at, am I capable of understanding this? Is, do it, does it have a moat? Does it have a good management team? Does it have a margin of safety? And the beauty of this is that you get to go quickly to see how you would have done in a company you might have understood. In other words, here comes the what might be the fast pitch, fat pitch. I don't swing at it because I'm not ready, uh -huh. but I'm pretending now that I was there in 2009, mm -hmm. and here comes the fat pitch, and if I'd swung at it, what would have happened? All right. I mean, that seems a little bit self-serving considering that in 2009 the market was way down and most stocks went up. Yeah. But that's the fat pitch you're talking about. That's okay. the fat pitch. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. <laughs> yes. All right. Point taken. Yes. Point taken. All right. Listen, we we should we should wrap this and uh, and let's go on deeper into capable of understanding. Yes, but I feel like we accomplished a lot, which is sort of thinking about really in way too much psychological detail about how a small amount of experience can inform, or maybe a large amount of experience can inform. Um, future guesses about how good we would be at something and and then how do we get that experience if we don't have it you know which is really the problem here you don't do investing you don't read business stuff how do you get enough experience to even be able to know if you're capable of understanding good well I'll give you a hint Charlie Munger reads a lot Warren Buffett reads a lot Mm -hmm. I read a lot. Mm -hmm. Every good investor I know reads a lot. And reading can overcome an awful lot of missing information. So let's get into I that. And then point. let's talk about how do you know when you don't know. Yeah. Which is also <laughs> hard to do. All right. Good. I guess we'll do that next time. Okay.
until then, time part to go play. Four. Part four to come next <laughs> Yeah. <time. laughs> cool. See ya. Bye, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening to Invested, the Rule One podcast. If you like this episode, you can always get our show notes and more details and links to the resources we discussed at investedpodcast.com. Also, as long as you're online, head on over to investedpodcast.com slash workshop for details on an upcoming three-day live workshop that I'm hosting. All you gotta do to go is enter the special podcast code STOCKPILE, that's S-T-O-C-K-P-I-L-E, STOCKPILE, into the application form and you guys can attend for free. So everything discussed on this show is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And it is not to be taken as investment advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really do hope you've enjoyed it. So until next week, it's time to go play. See ya.